I think I'm on now. All right. Well, I do want to say welcome not only to everyone who is here in this room worshiping with us right now, but also uh, to those who are joining us online right now via live stream and uh, also those of you who will be watching later on today, uh, later on during the week. We're so glad for all of you that you are here worshiping with us. And as you may know, we are in a series right now uh, going through the book of Philippians. We're calling this series Joyful because we believe that through Jesus Christ, we can live joy-filled lives. And we believe that we don't have to live at the mercy of our circumstances, amen? We, don't, we believe that we can find contentment and we can find joy even when life around us is very hard. You know, one of the things that Paul makes clear in Philippians, and maybe you've already read to the end and you've really seen this, he makes clear that, that joy and contentment is only possible when we have a purpose bigger than our circumstances. You see, when you have a purpose bigger than your circumstances, that means it can't be derailed by your circumstances, and it then transforms the way that we see our circumstances. And I've got good news and I've got bad news about that. I'll start with the good news. The good news is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him for your eternity and you're seeking to obey him day after day after day, then that means you do have a purpose bigger than your circumstances. That means you do have a purpose too big to be derailed by your circumstances, uh, whatever they may be. In fact, that purpose is so big that it can indeed, and it will if you let it transform your circumstances. It's gonna change obstacles in your life into opportunities. It's gonna turn defeats into victories. It's gonna change hopelessness and death into a life that is filled with hope and filled with joy. And you have that purpose if you are a follower of Jesus, and that purpose is this. That purpose is to become like Jesus and to join him on his mission. Do you live, first question today, with that conscious awareness every day that you have that purpose? You see, this is what we were made for. This is why Jesus died for us, and this is why he redeemed us. And in Philippians, Paul refers to this purpose like this. He calls it the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. And, and nothing else matters to Paul, not his comfort, not his happiness, not his reputation, not even his life, because it is a purpose too big to be derailed by circumstances. It is something that is so big it will be transformed, uh, our, that will transform our lives. And that is the good news. But here's the bad news. Are you ready? The purpose bigger than our circumstances means it's also bigger than me. That means it's not about me. And that means that we have to face some things we don't like to face, right? Because we struggle with that one, don't we? The it's not about me thing. You know, we have been programmed, and you need to be reminded of this all the time because you have been programmed all your life, and you hear it every day, and it's pounded into you, and you're immersed in it, and it permeates everything in the air that you breathe. You're told again and again and again, it's all about you, right? That's what our culture teaches us. But Paul is trying to help us to see that we're never going to know joy as long as we think that. 
You know, we're never going to experience the joy and the, the peace and the contentment he's talking about, Philippians, as long as we're living our lives thinking, well, I just got to love myself and I just got to be true to myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to I'm never going to know what happiness is if I don't grab it for myself. If I don't do me, you know, you got to do you. That's what we hear all the time, right? That's what we are told. But it's not true. It's not true. And we need to learn to say to ourselves it's not true. In fact, why don't we just practice that? You know, it's good to kind of put the training wheels on every once in a while, and you can do it with people around you. Let's just together say it's not about me. Can we do that? It's not about me. That's easy to say. It's hard to live out, isn't it? Um, You know, some of you I know, uh, sometimes I see it, on your social media feeds, some of us have adopted, you know, little mantras that we like to say, little things that we, we use in our lives to kind of encourage ourselves or remind us of some important things. And, and, and let me suggest to you um, that maybe you should add this one to your mantra list. I think it would be a really good idea for us every day to remind ourselves it's not about me. Say it's not about me. We, we need to hear that. And, and you know, I've been telling you um, throughout this series that joy is rooted so much in how we, we think. And Paul is so burdened to help us think rightly. And that's why he has been focusing our attention on, on gratitude and on humility and on servanthood. And what he's going to do today as part of this is he's going to show us the utterly crucial role of friendship. We're going to be studying Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30, and and if you're not there yet, you want to get your Bible open to that so you can follow along, and what we're going to see in these verses is that we were made for friendship. God made us for relationship. God made us for community, And, and it's all about me always gets in the way of true friendship and authentic community. And, and, and real relationship, it always gets in the way. It always gets in the way of joy. So I'm going to read Paul's words, and then we're going to explore them together. Why don't you follow along? We're beginning in verse 19 where it says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent, to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And this is the word of the Lord, amen? 
Why don't we pray together before we explore? God, we pray and we ask that your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, Lord, who inspired these words almost 2,000 years ago, would open them for us and illuminate them for us today so that we might see the glory of Christ. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on us now and do a work in us that only you can do in our hearts and in our communities, in our state, our nation, and our world. Lord, we ask for these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So Southwoods, I'm gonna start off by saying this, something very important for you to understand as we go into this passage, and it's simply this. You will never thrive without healthy relationships. Never. See, the inverse is also true. If you have healthy relationships, then you can flourish. And I think at least at some deep level, we all want this. We long for meaningful relationships. We, we desire to have, have good friendships and belonging in real community. But here's the problem. Even if we're trying to build these relationships, we have a lot of things, at least three that I can think of right now that are, that are lined up against us. And the first one is where we live. We live in the Bay Area, and it's one of the most busy of the most isolating, the most transient places actually in the world. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And second, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic, right? This pandemic, which seems like it's never gonna end. We're still being told, stay home as much as possible. I mean, we're being told that. I know you're not really doing it, but we're being told that. And, and you know, even when we go out, just like right now, you know, uh, my wife asked me a week or so ago, uh, you know, were there any new faces at church today? And I said, how would I know? <laughs> like, if you've been here a year or 10 years, I mean, I can't tell half of you out there. I don't know who you are. And, and when we go out, we're covered up. You know, we're supposed to stay six feet away from each other. There's just this distance built in. And then on top of that, we're still living in a time of deep division. I mean, we're divided, aren't we? We're divided by politics, divided by different social issues. We're divided by race and ethnicity, and it just creates all sorts of relational tensions. And you could probably add to that list, but, but while relationships are more important th than ever, it's probably harder than ever for us to have them. So what are we going to do? And here's the thing I want you to hear today. It's what we do all the time. It's what we should do. We go to God's word. We go to God's word. When you don't know what to do, always go to God's word. And, and as we come to God's word and we look at what we, we see here in this passage, we learn some important truths about friendship. Now, I want you to keep in mind just some basic facts that I've kind of been talking about at different times. Philippians is a letter written by a man from Israel, written to a church in Greece, written while this man from Israel is in a prison in Rome. So it's this very cosmopolitan, very diverse uh, thing that's going on here. And we should also keep in mind that Paul is talking about community and friendship while he himself is extremely, incredibly isolated and I think these verses are about friendship. So here's what we're gonna see as we go through them. We're gonna see why we need friendship, what it looks like, and then how we can experience it. And we're gonna see these things by getting introduced to two of Paul's friends. Their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And if you're getting ready to have a child, any of you right now, you should put that second name on the list. It'd be a really interesting name to have. Uh, no one else in their class is ever probably gonna have it. 
Uh, but this is what we're gonna look at. So here's the first thing. Let's talk about why we need friendship. Now, I wondered as I was thinking about this week, some people, maybe some of you who are listening might find it a little offensive to hear that you need friendship because we live in America and we're Americans and we've been taught that you know, our culture uh, just teaches us that independence is the highest virtue. And there are some of you You think that needing others is a sign of weakness. I just want to say today, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, to, To say that someone is weak because they need people is sort of like saying a fish is weak because it needs water. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of the way God made you. It's a sign of how God wants you to flourish. We need friendships. And and we see, so did someone as wise and mature as the Apostle Paul. You know, a lot of times I think people read about Paul and we just think of him as this solitary figure. He's out there. He's this hero. He's doing his thing. He's traveling everywhere, planting churches, telling people about Jesus, writing the Bible, you know, and he just does it all by himself. We kind of think of him like that, but that's not the way it was at all. Paul was actually single, wasn't married, uh, but he had this deep web of friendships and we see them all through all of his letters. And, And that's why I think here, Paul goes out of his way to stay connected to his friends in Philippi. Look at verse 19 again. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So, What we see here, first of all, is Paul is not gonna let anything hold him back from these relationships with this church in Philippi. He's not gonna let prison hold him back. He's not gonna let sickness hold him back. He's not gonna let distance hold him back. His mindset is this, you know, I may be in prison, but I can still write letters. I can still reach out. And you can really say this, if you understand the meaning of this word technology, uh, Paul is using technology to stay connected in a time where he cannot be connected face to face. His mindset was also this. If I can't see you myself, I can send my friend Timothy in my place. These are just signs of how much Paul values friendship and relationships. He's gonna send Timothy, his his friend, his, his coworker, on a 700 plus mile journey just to check on them, just to come back and report to them, uh, to him on how they're doing and he's gonna tell them how Paul is doing. And, and Paul just has this deep longing for them. Look at verse 24, he says, and I am confident in the Lord that I may, myself will come soon. He wants to be with them again because he values their friendship. Now, we also notice in this that though Paul is glad to use letters and he's glad to send other people, he also knows that nothing compares to being there in person. And I think this applies a lot to our situation. I hope you'll remember this. You know, I think we've learned at least a couple of things from this pandemic that we should keep in mind. And, and maybe the first is technology is amazing, right? I mean, just think of, of what we've been able to do this last year, how we've been able to stay connected through technology. You know, if we didn't have Zoom and FaceTime and all this other digital technology, this last year would have been so much harder. But secondly, alongside of that, 
We've also learned that technology cannot replace the face-to-face embodied relationships that we were made for. And I submit to you right now as you sit in this room with all these brothers and sisters around you, you are feeling it. And you know it right now, amen? Amen. And you're so glad you're here right now because you're with other people, other brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And, and I think, haven't you felt that? Like every time you've gotten together with someone, every time you've stolen a hug and just thought to yourself, take that, Sacramento. I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, we're just, we, we miss that contact. Here's what I wanna say. Some of us may be tempted by this time and this season to think that we can do church virtually. If, if someone needs to do that for a season, for a time, We're grateful for it, but we must always keep in mind it's not God's plan, it's not God's God's best for us. God created us for relationships, for friendships. And maybe you can put it like this and maybe you write it down. Technology is a great supplement, but it's a terrible replacement for face-to-face time with friends. And I think Paul understood that. We, we see so clearly in this passage the need for friendships and, and, and the intentionality that's required to experience friendship. But, but let me just pause for a minute to apply this to our, our own situation right now and just think some about where we are. You know, friendship is, is so important right now, and you can think about this on a couple of different levels. Uh, the pandemic, as I said, is, has made friendship really difficult. And, and I, I think maybe you've seen this. If you go back over the last almost year, you know, when it started out, I think a lot of us were really intentional and we were sending texts to people and we were reaching out and making phone calls and trying to keep in touch with everyone. But after a while, didn't you get kind of tired of that? And that kind of dropped off. And we started feeling isolated. And you know, the stats that are out there say that we are right now more isolated than ever. See, we need to be reminded by Paul that that not only do we need friendship, we must be intentional in cultivating it. We cannot let distance, especially the distance of this pandemic moment, keep us from the relationships that we need so desperately. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Adversity reveals uh, who our real friends are. And maybe this last year, for some of you, that's been really encouraging. And maybe for others of you, this last year has, has been a time when you've discovered that you really need some real friends in your life. And I just wanna encourage you to make sure that you are committing today and tomorrow and into the future to, to be building relationships for the long haul. Because if you don't have friends that you need, you just know you can't fix this overnight. I think, again, the pandemic has shown us how important uh, friendship is. But I also think this cultural moment in which we're living has highlighted highlighted how important friendship is. You know, I was thinking about it this week, and, you know, in some ways we might find ourselves right now thinking, well, 2021's not as bad as 2020, you know, with all of the political and social and ethnic conflicts that we've seen. But the reality is these issues have not gone away. And we still need friends to help us navigate what's going on around us, to help us even work you know, where we can to resolve issues as we're, we're able to. And maybe, maybe you're asking, well, what does friendship have to do with that? And I'll say it has a lot to do with it. See, we, we need friends who can be like safe spaces for us to process 
And here's where I wanna make a very pointed suggestion. May I suggest that social media is not the best place to process all our culture is going through? Can I get a witness? Uh, Dana and I watched uh, The Social Dilemma uh, a few days ago, and if you haven't heard of it, uh, I think many of you haven't watched it, because like, I think it was 38 million people watched it the first week it came out last fall on Netflix. It's a docudrama, and it's about how, how social media exploits and manipulates us to make money. Um, it, it talks about how social media is just designed expressly for addiction and, and how social media kind of herds us all into these spaces, you know, where we only hear what we want to hear. It isolates us. It's actually been proven already to be very harmful or for our mental health. It divides us far more than it ever unites. And I'm not saying that social media is all bad. I, I know it can be used for some good things and I'm grateful for those things, but I just wanna use what Paul's talking about here to remind us that we should spend a far more times with our friends than with our feeds. That should be how our lives are designed. So we, we, need, we need friends for support right now, but also we need friends to be with us and work with us to build bridges that can help us address some of the things going on around us. You know, this is all through the New Testament, but one of the most powerful things you can do to be an agent of reconciliation is to build relationships with people who don't look like you. I mean, you know, look around you right now, just in one church, at this one service, we're gonna see all kinds of diversity, all kinds of people from different cultural backgrounds, but I'm saying it's not enough for us to have diverse Sunday services. We need to have diversity at our dinner tables. We need to have diversity in our social media feeds. We need diversity in our relationships, and we need to strive for that. And I just have this thought on my head. If you're, if you're hearing me saying this politically, set that aside. I am not saying that at all. But we need to be connecting with people who are not the same as us. And you say, why? Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what his church did in the New Testament. And so therefore we should follow that example. And I think we'll see some good fruit result from that in our relationships if we will seek to do that in our lives. Well, that's some about why we need friendships. And I could go on for a lot longer, but let's move to the second thing. What does friendship look like? And in these verses, we, we get a glimpse into these two friendships that Paul has. Verses 19 through 24 are all about Timothy and in your life groups, maybe later today or this week, you can kind of explore and think about that. Verses 25 through 30 are all about Epaphroditus. Timothy is this, this young man who, who grew up and his mom was a believer, but his dad evidently was not. He was also from a, a mixed cultural background. His dad was Greek, his mother was Jewish. And as a young man, Paul mentored him and brought him along on missionary journeys. He, he ends up becoming a pastor. And then Epaphroditus, he's actually a guy from Philippi, part of that church. His name is, and maybe you picked up on this, derived from Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sex and gambling. How'd you like to be named after that? Now, this probably tells us that his family that he grew up in were worshipers um, of this goddess. 
And so one of the things we can think about with him is we see in this guy what God can do when he rescues and transforms an idol worshiper. And some of you say, that's what God did with me. And God is still doing that today. Epaphroditus was part of the church there. He was actually sent by the church in Philippi to help Paul. And the way they were doing that is they sent him to deliver an offering that they took to help meet Paul's needs. And you may not know this, but in the prisons back then, and I know some of you actually who are here in this room right now have worked in our prison system in different places. The prisons back then were way different. You know, today, if you're in prison, you're fed and you're sheltered. They didn't do that back then. I mean, you're sheltered, so to speak, because you're in a, in a prison, but they didn't feed you. You had to figure out how to get food on your own. You had to provide for your own needs while you're in prison and you couldn't work. And you can see how desperate that made things. Well, the, these people in Philippi knew about this situation with Paul, and so they were sending money so people could buy food and help Paul be able to live. And that's what Epaphroditus is doing. He's delivering this offering of money uh, so Paul can be served. And on the way, most likely on the trip, he gets sick. And he's sick so badly, he almost dies. But God heals him. And it's most likely that he had some traveling companions. You know, if they're gonna send an offering with someone, they don't send one guy by himself. Does anybody wanna guess why on that one? So it's for that reason. We won't talk about that. But it was also for safety, to protect And so probably there were at least two or three other people with him. And maybe one of those guys on the trip goes back and tells everybody, pray for Epaphroditus. He's sick. He's really sick. But then he gets better and they go to Rome. And now Paul's wanting to send him back to Philippi. And so from these two friends of Paul's, I want you to see three characteristics of biblical friendship. And the the first one is, is sacrifice. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. He's talking about Timothy and says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Everyone looks out for themselves. That's what Paul says. But for us, because we know Jesus, we should be looking out for others first. And as I was saying before, this, this all about me culture we live in, it idolizes independence. And, and let's be honest with ourselves. A lot of times what we call friendship is really networking, right? We're friends with people so that we can use them for our good rather than serving them for their good. But selfishness erodes friendship. Maybe you could kind of think about it like this. Imagine you've got a community of people where everyone isn't happy. Everyone's hurting, but everyone has the same attitude about it. Everyone in this hurting community is thinking, you know, nobody cares about me. Nobody calls me. Nobody invites me to anything. Nobody ever checks in on me. And so you have this whole community of people all hurting, all longing for relationships, but they're only thinking of themselves. Now imagine that same community, same group of people, everyone hurting, everyone longing for relationships, but instead of focusing on themselves, they're thinking about the other people they know who are hurting. And they're asking, how are you doing? How can I support you right now? Wouldn't that be a very different community to be in? Both communities are hurting, but very different results. People end up feeling cared for. They end up feeling known and and loved. But it only happens when we put others first. So let me just ask you right now, where in this life 
of this community at Southwinds, where do you need to put someone else first? Did you write that question down somewhere and think about it? I mean, seriously? Could you ask the Lord that question and see what he tells you? This is the word of the Lord. It's being spoken to you right now. It's being spoken to me. Where do we need to apply it? Sacrifice. So we see this sacrificial friendship also in Epaphroditus, maybe more than with Timothy. And as I told you, he was sick. He almost died. Verses 26 and 27 say this. And this is very interesting. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. How many of you, when you're sick, you don't care what Jesus says, it is all about me? Who in here just, okay, I could start something, I think, but who needs to raise a hand for someone else right now? Because <laughs> they're not going to admit it, but that's how it is. Isn't that how we get, you know, when we're sick? It's like, well, you need to take care of me. Where's the chicken soup? You know, where's my slippers? Where's whatever it is that you need? That's how we think. Do you see the difference with Epaphroditus? He's distressed because the Philippians have heard he was ill. And by the way, there's a little interesting thing here. That word distressed used only one other time in the New Testament. It's used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who's distressed because of what he's about to go through. Very intense word. He's not worried about his own health as much as he's worried about these people who are worried about him being sick. He cares more about his, their interests than his interests. So biblical friendship is characterized by sacrifice, but another word we could put on it is it's family. In verse 22, you can look again. It says, Paul says, Timothy is like a son to me. In verse 25, he refers to Epaphroditus as my brother. And you need to know that these are not just mere titles, you know, that people use at church. They're not just greetings. This is something that taps into this deep, profound truth that we see all through the New Testament, that through the blood of Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God, just like we were singing. The church is a family we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have spiritual fathers and mothers in our midst. And, and family really does shape our identity, right? I mean, if you really want to know someone, get to know them, what do you do? You ask about their family. Let me tell you a couple things about your spiritual family. And let me remind you about this family we've been adopted into. The Bible says that we are a family of people from every tribe and nation and tongue and people. We've come from all kinds of different backgrounds, but we come together into a common culture that is shaped by our Heavenly Father. And we have all kinds of differences, but we're on the same page with what matters the most. We're ultimately united in Jesus Christ and because of that, even when we have differences, we are striving for unity and we're doing that with empathy and, and love and with patience. And when things get hard, when someone hurts someone else, when there's relational tension in the air, we work through it. We forgive one another. We don't get offended and storm off. We, we, we bear with one another when people do things that we don't understand or things they shouldn't do. 
We do these things, why? Because Jesus has done them for us. God has forgiven us in Christ. Now, I know, I mean, I'm a pastor. This is my life around people at church. I know we don't always live up to it. I don't always live up to that. But we should strive for this. This is who we are by God's grace. This is our family. And again, I think it's so important to remember because it's been such an isolated time. And maybe someone particularly needs to hear this today. And I just want you to know, no matter how lonely you feel, if you know Jesus, you are not alone. No matter how isolated you've been or how together you've been um, with others, you are not on your own. You are part of a family, and that matters so much. Uh, J.C. Ryle once said, friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. That's a beautiful statement. Halves our troubles and it doubles our joy. And so it tells us to be part of a family is to live with a shared experience where we, we, we get to share in the good things and the, the bad things, the, the joyful things and the hard things with one another. Biblical friendships characterized by sacrifice. It's characterized by family. But third and most of all, it's characterized by Christ's mission. Again, verse 22, where Paul talks about Timothy, he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And so the heart of the relationship these two have is they're serving together in the gospel. And let me highlight this. We hear son as a father. We think, oh yeah, they were like, you know, they were like family to each other. They were, but it's more than that. In the culture of that day, what this was signaling to people is this, and almost everybody did this, you did what your father did. Your career was your father's career. So that meant your father would apprentice you. Your father would mentor you. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, this, this uh, young man who evidently, from all we know, maybe his dad had died. He certainly didn't have a spiritual father. Paul had become his spiritual father. And, and they, were, they were serving together in the family business. They were serving together in the footsteps of the father and Paul was the father and his family business was the gospel, the mission of Christ. Look at verse 30 where Paul talks about Epaphroditus. Again, he says he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And if you look at verse 25 as well, you'll also see that, that Paul gives Epaphroditus five titles and they all focus on uh, Christ's mission. Ultimately, Paul calls him my brother, coworker, fellow soldier. And then he says that he's the Philippians messenger. And then the NIV translates this with a phrase, but literally he's, he says that Epaphroditus is the minister for the Philippians to my needs. So five titles all focused on Jesus Christ's mission. Now, notice here, this great apostle is showing great humility. Uh, he doesn't see himself as above this man who was a layman in the church. He sees them as friends who work together, who love each other and serve together. Their king, Jesus Christ. And so what we see in both these friendships is that the relationship was not based fundamentally on having the same career or the same hobbies or even the same background. It was based on Christ and Christ's mission. 
Um, there's a, a classic work, and uh, it was written a long time ago, and so probably none of us have ever read it, but it is a good one. It's called On Spiritual Friendship, and it was written in the 12th century by an English monk whose name is Elred. And he talks about three different kinds of friendship. He calls the first kind of friendship carnal friendship, and that doesn't mean what you probably first think it means, uh, the way we use that word today, but he's just referring to uh, affinities or entertainment or hobbies. It's just like, you know, we're fans of the same team. We like to have the same interests. But then he talks about worldly friendship, and this is based on usefulness. This is networking. You know, this is when you get to know someone because you get something out of it. But then he says, third, there's spiritual friendship, and that's the friendship that matters. He said it's the friendship that's based on a mutual commitment to following Jesus, and it's the kind of friendship that we need, and maybe it's the kind of friendship that many of us don't have. So you need friends who pray for you, right? You need friends who speak truth into your life. You, you need friends who point you to Jesus. You, you need friends who encourage you and also who correct you. You need friendships that are centered primarily on Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be friends. This is what we are being called to if we're gonna live a joy-filled life. We say, well, how do I do that? Well, that's the third thing I wanna share with you, how we actually experience this kind of friendship. And, and again, it doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with your friends. It starts with looking to Jesus. Do you ever think of Jesus like this as a friend? You know, we see it all throughout the New Testament. Jesus was so close to John as a friend. Do you remember the scene at the Last Supper that John lays his head on Jesus' chest? And we see Jesus wash the feet, even of Judas, even when he knows he's his betrayer. We see Jesus seeking out Peter after Peter had denied Jesus to restore the relationship. This all shows us something that's for us today. Jesus is the greatest friend you can ever imagine. Amen. He's your friend. And you might think, well, wait, isn't, isn't he king? Isn't he savior? I mean, don't we see this focus on how strong and powerful he is? Well, I didn't say it was a friendship of equals. In fact, Psalm 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. But Jesus is our great king who has at the same time, by his grace, called us to be his friends. He is your friend. And we see, let us not forget, the fullness of Jesus' commitment to us as friend at the cross. In John 15, 13, Jesus said to his disciples, he also says to us, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Two incredible things there. First, Jesus calls you friend, not just servant. He calls you friend. And second, Jesus laid down his life for you to restore the friendship with himself that you were created for. He died on the cross for our sins out of his love for us. You know, we're baptizing this afternoon, as you heard a little bit ago. 
And I just want to say right now, if you're here right now, if you're listening online right now and you want to be baptized, you're ready to take that step, there's still time to get signed up. Talk to one of the pastors. Connect with us so we can help you take that step. But here's what I want to say. This is why baptism is so important. Baptism is a sign that we have received God's grace and salvation, that we have died to our old way of sinful living, that God has given us this new life, this eternal life. But baptism is also a sign, and many of us don't remember this, that we're part of a family. It's a sign that we have friends, that we have spiritual friends. We receive baptism, and we do that in the presence of brothers and sisters, We don't go off all by ourselves and get baptized in private. We do it in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can share in it, just like they did it in the presence of brothers and sisters. And those people shared it. We share in baptism together. And and it reminds us that we need that friendship of family, that friendship that sacrifices for one another, that friendship that is grounded in a purpose that is bigger than us. And that purpose is the mission of Christ, which is the advancement of the gospel. See, it all works together. Christ becomes our friend through his sacrificial death. And then as we together look to Christ as our friend, we grow in friendship with one another. Now, we've been talking about friendship all morning. But a lot of people, if you were honest, would probably say, I don't really have friends. And I think the reason those of you who would say I don't have friends don't have friends, it's not because you don't agree with what the Bible's teaching. It's not because you don't want friends, you do. I think that a lot of us don't have deep friendship because we've been wounded. We've been hurt and we've been hurt by friends. And so we're anxious, we're kind of nervous about putting ourselves out there and and trusting in someone again. But I want you to hear this as you're struggling maybe with this. If you were wounded, you were wounded in the context of relationships and you will only experience healing in the context of relationships. Do you see? Now it doesn't have to be the same relationships that you were, you were wounded and I'm not saying that, but you need relationships, including family, uh, friends to be a part of that healing. Jesus, he ultimately is our healer. He is ultimately the only one who can mend our broken hearts, but he brings healing. Haven't you seen this through other people so many times? Through healthy, redemptive relationships. And so I hope if you're nervous or you're unsure that you will not let that keep you back, that you will do what Paul is is modeling for you here. I wanna close with this. In Philippians, this letter we're studying, Paul, he's writing uh, from Rome to a church in Philippi. But earlier, Paul wrote another letter to the church in Rome. And we know that letter as the book of Romans. It's one of the most well-known books in the Bible, full of, of deep theology. But there's something in the book of Romans that uh, if you've read it, you've probably skimmed over it. It's at the very end of Romans. It's in chapter 16. It's one of those places in the Bible, you know, where they give a lot of these strange names. And it doesn't seem like it applies to my life. So I'll just kind of skip over it and go on to something else that's more meaningful. But in that passage... At the end of Romans is something incredible that gets overlooked. Now, the background is this. Rome was a city full of slaves. 
In fact, only the highest ranked persons in that city were given the dignity of being called persons. If you were a slave, you weren't a person. And very few people proportionally had full rights of, of persons. And so there are slaves everywhere. Most of the people you would have encountered would have been slaves. And the culture looked down on slaves so much, they valued slaves so little that when slaves gave birth, often slaves would get names that were just after the order of their birth. So you'd have a slave named Primus and then Secundus and then Tertius and Quartus and Quintus, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And when you, when you look at the letter to the Romans, the very end of that chapter, chapter 16, Paul is just going through this really long list of names and saying things about some people. It's kind of similar to what we see here in Philippians 2 where we've been studying, talking about friendships. You get this window into Paul's relational life and it's really incredible because he's, he's talking to this diverse group of people and they're, they're men and women, they're Greek and they're Roman and they're Jewish, they're rich and they're poor. But then in verse 22, it shifts from the voice of the apostle Paul to the voice of the, uh, another person. Listen to what this verse says. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Tertius. What was his name? His name was Third. Hey, Third, how's it going? That was his name. See, he was the scribe who was writing the letter of Romans, probably what the most important book in all the Bible, as Paul the apostle was dictating it. And it's almost as if Paul is speaking and Tertius is writing, and then Paul pauses and Paul says, hey, hey, Tertius, why don't you greet them right now in your own voice? And we get verse 22. We also get verse 23. Let me read them together. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus, send you their greetings. A lot of scholars think Cordus was the brother of Tertius. I don't know. Could have been. But I want you to think about this. The, the book of Romans was likely handwritten by a slave, a Roman slave who'd been brought in and treated with dignity by a follower of Jesus. Only the gospel. Only the gospel can bring Jewish Pharisees and Roman slaves and wealthy Greek business people, men and women from all ethnicities and all places on this socioeconomic ladder, bring all of those people together as family. And as friends. See, it's no wonder that the early churches, as they were gripped by the gospel, transformed the Roman world. And here's what I want to say as we close May the Lord do it again today, through you and through me. Amen.